for how great you are to all of us. May we clear our hearts and minds now. May you speak to us through your word, through your messenger today in Jesus' name. Amen. That was awesome. Thank you guys so much. We're so uh, looking forward to the week ahead. Uh, week ahead. Um, if you have children that are heading down to Children's Church, kindergarten to third grade, they can dismiss out the back uh, with Miss Melody. If you have older children that are staying with us, or if you yourself would like something to do, uh, there's all sorts of activities on that back table. There's also a sermon notes designed for your children that goes along with the sermon. Uh, they can grab that. There's a bingo game on there. They can fill that out. If they do, they can come see me and I'll have a a uh, piece of candy for them after uh, service. So we're in the midst of a series called The Parables, uh, and parables aren't just uh, silly sayings, but they are powerful stories that call for a decision from us, the hearers. And so today we come to probably the most famous parable or the most famous short story in the Bible and one of the most famous short stories in the world. Uh, Charles Dickens, a great writer, writer, called this the finest short story ever written. Uh, but again, I don't want you just to hear this as a quaint story, but because this is a powerful story that Jesus told to summarize his life and his purpose, a, a life that would culminate in his death and resurrection. It's a story that defines the salvation of every follower of Jesus. This story is my story, and it is your story, or it can be your story as well. So we're at the story of the prodigals or the lost son. Uh, and again, this is a familiar story, but so often we can miss the power and the familiarity. Uh, and so I want you to do your best today to try to just uh, look at this story with fresh eyes and soak in its power. One note before we read the passage. In most of our Bibles, you're probably has a heading that says the prodigals or the lost son. And when we read that, we often think that the main character of the story must be this lost son or this prodigal's son. I think we're kind of drawn to that notion that the son is at the center of the story. Because it's the son that we associate and sympathize with. But the truth is, the main character of this story is not the son, but it is the father. And it seems like an unimportant thing, but it is critical for us to understand. God is at the center of this story. And it's so important because this is true of our lives as well. In our life, we love to make our life and our story all about us. We like to think that we are the main character. But the reality is we are created to be the star of our story. We are created to play a role in God's story. And so we're going to read this story, and we're going to study it through the lens of the Father, that God is at the center of it all. And the last note, this story is part of three parables that Jesus tells about God searching and finding lost things. So we're going to read those all. We're in Luke chapter 15. We're going to read verse 1, starting with the first parable, through verse 24. It reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. He said, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? Doesn't she sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. The son longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the son got up and he went back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they celebrated. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we study your word today, Lord, that you would just open our hearts and our minds to what it is you have for us. God, we pray that you would speak through this story and we would see the incredible love that you have for us, the grace that you offer us, the mercy you have afforded us. And God, I pray that you would remind us anew who we are in you. And God, my prayer is if there is anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, They have not experienced your incredible love and grace. May you open their hearts and their minds to you. May you give them the courage to repent and turn and follow after you. May they experience your love and your grace for the first time. God, we thank you that you are this kind of a father. A father that embraces and accepts us in our return. May you speak to us today. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, first of all, just what an incredible uh, story this is. And the first thing I want us to see in this story is that God loves you even as you reject him. God's love is greater than your rejection. This story begins with this conversation between the son and the father in which the son rejects. And he shows the father the ultimate disrespect in their culture. He comes to the Father and he says, give me my inheritance now so that I can go and do my own thing. He tells the Father, I would rather you be dead than alive. I'd rather have your money than have you. Can you imagine saying that to anyone? Nonetheless, 
a parent to your father? That's when he comes. He says, I would rather you be dead than alive. I've got young children, but I can't imagine anything worse than my kids running from me and wanting nothing to do with me. I've seen that happen in others' lives. I've seen the hurt and the pain the parents feel. I can imagine nothing worse. That's what the son does to the father. And some of you here, you might be like this father. You might have the prodigal child that wants nothing to do with you. If that's you, I'm so sorry. Keep praying faithfully for that child. But the son, he disrespects. He desires to walk away. He rejects the father that has loved him since birth. We often think of sin as like these egregious acts that go against God, and those are sin. But really, the essence of sin is the rejection of God that then leads to those acts. The root of sin is pride that says, I know better than God. I am a better leader than God. I am a better God than God. Sin is the rejection of God and the exaltation of self to the role of God. That's what this son does. The son says, Dad, I no longer want to be under your roof and your leadership. And sin says to God, I no longer want to, to be under your direction, your lordship, your rules. This son says, my life would be better without you, Dad. My life would be better without your rules and your guidance in it. I know better and I want out. And that's exactly what we each say to God. That's what we say to God when we sin. So the son goes to his dad and he says, give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. I'm out of this family. But the shock, the scandal, the story, part of the story comes in verse 13. And it's the father's response. In verse 13, it says, and the father divided the house among them. If you remember back to verse 1, Jesus is telling this story to an audience of Pharisees and disciples. These guys knew the Old Testament. They knew the law. They knew the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus says the father could have had his son executed for this type of request. New Testament scholar Kenneth Bailey said first century Jewish custom dictated that if a Jewish boy rejected the family like this, the community would go outside, they would break a large pot in front of him, and they would cry out, whatever his name is, is cut off from his people. This ceremony was called the Kazaza. That's a fun name. And it literally meant cut off. And after the ceremony was performed, the community would never have anything to do with that wayward person again. No matter what, they were excommunicated from the faith and the family. And so as Jewish, as the Jesus' audience hears this story, this is the response they would expect from the father. But instead, what does he do? He lets the son have his inheritance, and he lets him go his own way. And in that, we see that the father loved the son, even when, even as, he rejected him. And that's true of us as well. The Bible says we have all sinned. We have all told God we would rather do it our own way. But even when we reject the father, he shows us grace and he shows us love. Even in our rejection, even in our sin, our sin he loves us. I mean, God shows us grace in the mere fact that we don't get the death we deserve immediately. This father could have had nothing to do with his son. He could have had him executed, but he shows him grace. That's what the son deserved, and that's what we deserve when we reject God. But God in his grace, he grants us day after day, month after month, year after year, affording us the opportunity to return to him. God shows us love and, and free will as he allows us to make our own decisions, to go our own way. He also shows us incomprehensible love and that while we were rejecting him, he made a way for us to be restored and forgiven to him. Romans 5a, we say it all the time. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. An incredible verse that while we were running, while we were rejecting God, he made a way so that we could be made right with him. He gave his life so that we could be forgiven. And so if you're here today and you're living in sin, you're you're living for yourself, you've never followed God, know that he loves you. And he has made a way back to him. The second thing we see in this passage is that God loves you even as you run from him. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. So the young man gets his wealth, and he heads off to this distant land, and there he spends all he has on wild living. He leaves the father. He goes to another country, another city, this place that he thinks is going to be so much better, and the boy lives it up. He connects the things of the world that he thought would bring him happiness and joy. He has everything he's ever dreamed of. He spends all of his money on those things that he always longed for. He eats good food. He he stays in nice hotels. He covers his friends' meals. He has the best technology. He buys the coolest cell phone and car or or donkey or camel or whatever it was. He lives it up, and things are good for the moment. Hebrews 11.25 calls this the fleeting pleasure of sin. The son lives it up. He enjoys it all, but then he is left with nothing. Sin has pleasure in the moment. Right? The book of Hebrews tells us that, but it also promises that pleasure is fleeting. So if you're here today and you're living in the pain of sin, the darkness, the guilt of sin, broken relationship, addictions that have lost control of, sin that has left you in death you can't control, the loss of family, or maybe you're here and you're like the sun in the good moment. You have it all, but something in you is empty. Know that the Father still loves you. Angelina Jolie says she remembered one of the most upsetting times in her life was when she had finally achieved success. She finally had financial stability. She was in love with this man that she thought was going to fulfill her. She said, I have everything they say you're supposed to have to be happy, yet I'm not happy. Friends, the pleasures of sin are fleeting. But God loves you even as you wander, even as you run. Even when you get everything you thought you needed, it's going to leave you feeling empty and looking for more. The son had left his family. He had spent his money on reckless living, and now he has nothing left. He had dripped for years of getting out from under his father's rules, and it's left him completely empty with nothing to live for. John Piper said it like this. He said, when we break our attachment with God, you will end up attached to another. And that attachment will be slavery, not sonship. He says it may be drugs or alcohol or illicit sex or an employer or a spouse or a sport or a hobby or a television or a lake cabin or a computer or books. He says the attachment may be crude or it may be refined. But he says if we break loose from God, we will be attached to another. And in the end, whether it's crude or refined, this alien attachment will send us to the pig troughs, either in this life or the one to come. He continues, you and I were made to be filled with God. And if we run from him, if we take our little earthly inheritance of time and money and energy and we use it to attach ourselves to things other than God, he says it won't matter whether we're worth $9 billion 
or buried in the local cemetery in Green River, Wyoming. Our future will be swine food for all eternity. He says that's the misery Jesus is describing when we run from the Father's house. And that's the Son. He has nothing. He is now feeding pigs. The ultimate disgrace for a young Jewish boy. And yet the Father still loves him. There is no greater shame. There is no greater filth possible in the culture. And the Father still loves him. God loves you no matter where you are today. And we don't see the father per se in this section of scripture, but later we see that the father's going to see the young boy while he's a long way off. And I think it's easy to assume the father uh, was regularly, if not constantly, looking for the son because he loved him. I kind of envision this section of scripture kind of playing out in the split, split screen or with flashbacks back to home. We've got the son here squandering his money on self, feeding pigs and longing to eat their food. And then in the other screen or, or back home, we see this father looking, longing, searching for his son to return. The father loved the son even as he wandered. And God loves you even as you wander, even as you run. We quoted Romans 5, 8 earlier, but Jesus died for you even while you were a sinner. It doesn't say the boy had to clean himself up before he returned to the father, and neither do we. He loves you where you are, and he has made a way for your return. It's not about the son doing anything. It's about the father and his love. And so if you're living in sin right now, if you are broken, if you're without hope, know that God loves you. And there's a way back. And if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, be reminded of how God loved you, even while you were far off. If you're a Christian, you're forgiven not because of anything you did to make yourself right, but you are completely forgiven because of the Father and Jesus' death and resurrection. His death and resurrection that occurred while you were still a sinner. You're forgiven because of Jesus and his love for you. Not because of anything you've done to make yourself right. That leads to the next point, and that is that God loves you in the return. The young boy right now, when he's in his pig troughs, he finds himself in the fleeting and not the pleasure of sin. It says he comes to his senses, or other versions say he came to himself and he remembered the father. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Yet here I am starving to death. He comes to his senses in the realization that what he, of what he has left behind. He has hit rock bottom. He remembers the father. I think for many of us, this is our story of faith, isn't it? There was a time the bottom fell out and we came to our senses or we came to ourselves and we realized there has to be something more than this. And we thought of the Father. Maybe for some of us, we heard of God for the first time or we remembered those stories of a God that loves us that our grandma had told us 20 years ago. We remembered those stories of Sunday school as a kid. But the pleasure of sin had left us with nothing and we thought of a loving God. Or maybe, again, you are here today, and that's you, and the message for you is that God loves you, and the question is, will you return to him? The young boy remembers his dad, and he makes a plan to return home. Verse 18, he says, I'm going to set out, I'm going to go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, and he went. The boy gets up, and he returns to the father. 
He recognizes his sin. He recognizes that he has lived for himself, and he humbly returns home. In the church world, we got a, we got a word for this. It's called repentance. And to repent means to literally stop what you are doing and go the other way. And so the question for ourselves is, have we ever repented and returned to God? 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the young boy makes up his mind that he is going to go home and he's going to go to the father and he goes to him. And at this point, it seems like it's all about the son, right? But remember, this is the third of three parables. We read them earlier. In the first parable, the shepherd leads the 99 sheep to find the one. And in the second parable, the woman turns her house upside down to find that missing coin. Now, about, I don't know about you, but maybe you don't relate to stories about missing sheep or missing coins. right? It's hard for us to understand the value of those things. Sheep don't mean a whole lot to me. I hear of a missing coin. I think of a quarter on the ground on the couch. Like, who cares? But it says that the missing coin was worth 10% of all this woman owned. And so instead of a missing coin, imagine something of value. Imagine you pull out your wallet and your credit card is missing. You ever had that experience? That panic in the moment? I know I have. I've misplaced it in the pocket or in the door of the car or somewhere stupid. But for a moment, I had no idea where it was, and I searched everywhere to find it. Jesus says that's what God is like as he's pursuing and searching and running for you. And then the parable escalates to the, this missing son. And while it seems like the father was passive, we know that's not the case because he sees him a long way off. We search for desperation when we lose a key or a credit card. But how much more do we search for desperation when we're losing or missing a child? Have you ever thought you lost a child? That's a, that's a terrifying feeling. Right, we've, got a, we've got a three-year-old in our house. He likes candy. He knows that the candy is at the church. And so he often wanders over to the church in search of candy. That's a moment of panic. Now we know where to look, but for that split second at first, that is panic. And Jesus tells us it's with that same heart that God seeks those who are lost. And so while it seems like it's all up to the boy and that God is just sitting back waiting for the return, these other parables remind us that God is actively searching and looking for the lost. If you don't know him, he is searching, he is looking for you, he has made a way for you to return home. I don't know how that all balances out and plays out, but know that if you are lost and far from God, he is pursuing you. If you have returned and experienced his forgiveness, know and be reminded that the Father loved and pursued you. And that leads to our next point, and that is that our return is met with God's love and grace. I think when we first read this story and we hear that the son is getting ready to head home, we worry about what is going to be this father's response. So often when people sin against us, when they hurt us in this world, we, we write them off. We don't offer forgiveness, but we say, the heck with them, don't we? And there is part of us that worries that the father might respond that way as well. Morgan Wallen has a song out right now. It's called Don't Thank Jesus. And the chorus says, if I was him, God, I'd say the heck with you. I'm not helping you. I'd find someone else to give heaven to. He says, I'd shame you. I'd blame you. I'd make me pay for my mistakes. But then it concludes with, I don't think Jesus does it that way. But that's often how we view God. We believe we are too bad. We have done too much wrong for God to ever forgive us and welcome us home. 
We assume that because of our past, God has written us off, but that's not who our God is. Verse 20 says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The father was looking for the son. He was actively scanning the horizon for any sign of his son. And then he saw it. He saw that familiar gait of his long lost son. He had seen that walk. He had seen that posture of his son since he was a toddler. And he sees that walk and he recognizes it and he takes off running towards his son. We don't quite get this, but men in that culture did not run. But the father in that moment isn't worried about anything but the return of his son. He's not worried about the shame that running might bring on him. He is overwhelmed with the love that he has for his son. Have you ever had those moments where you just don't even care anymore? You're so overwhelmed by emotion, you don't care, and you do what your emotions tell you to do. I think the greatest picture, whenever I think of this, the picture that comes to my mind is, is that of Jim Valvano. You guys know who Jim Valvano is? He was the coach of North Carolina State, and they upset Houston in like 1985 for the NCAA basketball championship. And there's this famous picture of him just running around like a madman with his arms out looking for someone to hug. His team has won the championship. He doesn't care what he looks like. That's exactly how I envisioned a father running to the son. I think we've all had those moments. Father runs to his son. He just doesn't care. The world says, you are shaming yourself. He says, I don't care. I have my son back. And it's with that kind of love, that kind of grace, that kind of passion that Jesus says, God loves you. He waits for you. He pursues you. The father runs to the son. He embraces him. And the son, he tries to get that apology out, doesn't he? But before he can finish, the father completely takes him back as his son. And the party starts. The son attempts to return as a servant, but before he can't even ask for that status, he's denied the role of a servant and restored as a son. That's our last point. The return is full of God's grace. The son returns recognizing that he has made a foolish choice. He has lived a selfish lifestyle. He returns hoping that his father will just employ him. But fearful he might not take him back at all. Remember we talked about earlier in their culture. If a son did this, they would be kicked out of the family. They would be shunned forever. So he comes back just hoping that his dad might employ him. That he might allow him to be a servant. But the father restores him to son. In his love and grace. That's our lives as well. We believe this lie and this logic that we have done too many bad things for God to ever love us. We've done too many bad things for God to welcome us back or to forgive us. We think that God could probably forgive other people, but if he knows what I did, if he knows what I'm in the midst of right now, there is no way he could ever forgive me. I may have used this illustration before, but, but I love it. I read of a man who had committed a crime for which he was deeply ashamed. He went and he served his prison sentence and he was about to be released and he wondered if his family would reject him because of the scandal he'd caused, because of the shame he had brought his family. And so he wrote his parents a letter from prison in that last week. He said, Mom, Dad, I'm coming back by bus, but I don't want to embarrass you. And so here's the deal. He said, if you tie a yellow ribbon on that old oak tree at the beginning of the street, I'll know it's okay to come back. 
He said, if there's no ribbon on the street, when the bus passes, I'll just keep on riding. Well, as you can imagine, this, this young man was quite emotional on this bus journey. And as the bus got nearer to his street, he couldn't even bear to look at the old oak tree. He was so emotional, he asked the driver, can you just look for me? Can you look and see if there's a ribbon? And as they got close to the bus driver, said, son, I think you might want to look up. And when he looked up, the tree was, was covered with yellow ribbons. The whole community had joined his parents in welcoming back. There wasn't just one ribbon, but there were hundreds and thousands of ribbons saying, son, come on home. That's what the father does for his son, and that's what Jesus has done for us. When we repent, when we turn away from living for self, and when we turn and follow Jesus, we are completely forgiven and embraced in his grace. Our natural reaction when we know we've sinned, when we've, when we've messed up, when we try to work it off. God says that's not the way. You can't work it off. You can't work off your sin. You can't earn your way to God, but he has made a way. He says you have to know him on the basis of grace, and when we do that, we are made a son or daughter. You look at this story. Where is the shame for what this son has done? When he returns home and is gone, the only one who experienced any shame in this story is the father as he runs to the son. Where is the punishment for this, this son's sins? There's not a drop of it. Who pays for the reckless living? It's not the son, but the father absorbs it. Instead of shame and beating and humiliation, there are robes, there are honors, and there are parties. The sweetest, richest word in Christianity, I think, is the one that is so hard for us to understand, is that word grace. The Bible says the wage of our sin is death, but who took the price of our sin? It's Jesus. What do we get in return? We inherit his rewards. We inherit his righteousness. We inherit his eternal life. Grace is the unmerited favor of God that says you are forgiven, you are righteous, you are mine, you are adopted, you are loved. Grace says you are not what you once were, but you are mine. The father takes the son, he gives him not shame and punishment, but he gives him three gifts. He gives him three gifts. He gives him first, he gives him a robe. But not just any robe, he gives him the best robe. And that best robe would have belonged to the father himself. So he is clothed in the garments of the Father. He gives him a ring, which is a symbol of authority. He gives him his position and favor back. And he gives him sandals. And sandals were a sign of wealth. Servants didn't wear shoes in the house. Only sons did. The son returned and requested the status of a servant, but he's denied and restored as a son. And when you return to God, when you repent, and when you follow after him, there is no punishment, there is no shame, there are no works, there is no servanthood, there is only grace. Jesus has paid the punishment. Jesus took your shame. Jesus endured the consequences, and you're left with forgiveness. You're treated as a son or daughter of the king, and you inherit his rewards. So if you're here and you think that you are too lost, or you've done too many things wrong, that there's no way that God could accept you, don't believe the lie, but instead turn and accept the grace and forgiveness that is only available in him. Next week, we're going to get to the older brother. We're going to kind of leave on an unresolved ending. We don't know if he's going to come to the party or he's going to go his own way, but we are reminded in that that we have a choice. And God doesn't force us to follow him. And so if you're here today and you think you've done too many things wrong, 
Or maybe you're here today and you're like the older brother. You think you're good enough on your own. You don't need the Father. Let me remind you, it takes action for you to be made right with God. You have to return home just like the son. So the team's going to come, and they're going to lead us in a closing song. As we prepare to respond, I believe there are a few different places that we could find ourselves today. First of all, maybe you're here, and you've been a believer for a long, long time. My encouragement for you would be to take some time this week and just reflect on the love of the Father for you. To reflect on the grace He has shown you and give thanks and be reminded of who you are in Him. Maybe you're here and you've returned to the Father, but you have gone your own way and you are struggling to believe that He could actually love you. He could actually forgive you. You are actually His son or daughter. Would you just reflect on the story and be reminded of who you are in Him? And lastly, maybe you're here and you are the son today. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't have never experienced His grace and forgiveness. My call for you would be to repent. To just turn and, and say, God, I want to believe in you. I want to follow after you. I want to experience your forgiveness and grace. I have sinned, and I want to follow you. The Bible says if you pray that with your heart surrendered, he is faithful to forgive. He's faithful to meet you with open arms. He is faithful to give you his inheritance. He's faithful to make you his son or daughter. He's faithful to forgive you and give you eternal life. If that's you, would you turn and find forgiveness in him? I'm going to pray for us. As I pray, if that's you, you can just pray in your heart, in your seat. You can pray as we sing. God is faithful to forgive. So these next few minutes, do whatever God is calling you to do. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God that loves us. A God that loves us as we reject you. A God that loves us as we run from you in our sin. A God that gave his life, that sent Jesus to give his life so that we could be forgiven while we were still sinners. God, we thank you that you are a God that there is no sin, there is no shame so great that you don't love us. There's no shame so great, there's no sin so great that you don't forgive us. There's no shame, there is no sin so great that you won't call us yours. So God, I pray that as we just spend a moment reflecting, Lord, that we would know who we are in you. That we would know we are forgiven that we would know that we are your son or your daughter, that we would know that we are loved, that we would rest in your grace. God, if there's anyone still running, Lord, I pray that they would turn and trust you today. God, we love you, and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. If you would love